Hi, my name is Cecilia Puna, and welcome to this episode of Brave New Women. All around the world, there are amazing, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Brave New Women is about giving those women a platform and a voice, and it's about changing the way that women are perceived. And it's a way of inspiring all of us to do the things that we've always wanted to do. I'm so pleased today to be talking to Meredith Marshall. And Meredith Marshall worked for a very large financial institution in the US for close on 20 years. She left in January, and the reason she left was to take some time to rest, to reflect, and to think about a change in direction. In parallel to her work at in corporate America, she was also working on transformational leadership and has been coaching leaders and executives since 2016 in transformational leadership. And what she's particularly interested in is in healing and rehumanizing organizations. So, Meredith, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to be here. Meredith, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about. Um, why you decided to take a step back from your uh, traditional role in the financial institution and what things you're thinking about at the moment? You know, I I think it in part was, um, you know, having spent uh, most of my career with one organization, I I reached the point where I was really desiring um, a change, just a it was time to uh, do something new and different in a sense and take the experience and, and the work and the learning from the organization that I'd been with um, and start applying it in some different ways. And uh, I, I found myself having a desire to, to build upon that work and, you know, work with different organizations, see what, different organizations were doing and learning about their cultures and how they were approaching, you know, uh, developing leaders and um, engaging their employees. And so that was in part um, why it seemed like the right time to make a, a shift. And I was, and I was exhausted. I was very tired. I think, you know, working, um, Many people, I hear this from as well, is that it's um, it's very demanding working in a corporate environment, just like I'm sure it's demanding working in a, um, for the government or um, other organizations, associations, nonprofits. Seems like there is just uh, increasing demand um, placed on employees, and we live in a, a more complex world that's constantly changing. So I reached a point where I, I, my, both my kids um, had graduated from college. I was no longer having to make a tuition payment, which was very nice. Um, and financially, I was, um, you know, able to just take a step back and reevaluate and, you know, reinvent, a, you know, in a sense. And perhaps um, if we could just go back a little bit, um, what. What was the work you were doing in leadership and coaching while you were in a corporate position? 
So I would describe the work I was uh, doing, um, my background in that company is more like a field of wildflowers than you know, a manicured garden. I, I did a lot, I played a lot of different roles over the course of my career. Mm. And um, there was a lot of cross-pollinization going on. I was um, much, for much of my career, uh, spent on risk management. Um, and then I, I uh, found myself really uh, moving into the world of um, more with a people focus. And that led me to do some co- uh, executive coach training. And I found myself in roles around employee engagement. Uh, culture transformation, change leadership. And so that was kind of where I uh, wound up in the last few years um, with that company doing some really uh, fascinating work with um, changing the way uh, we were interacting with one another um, to create more aligned and connected ways of working together. And when you say, so you're working on changing the ways that we were interacting with each other. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so it was, we were working with a large division of um, very highly intelligent experts. These were individuals uh, that were very, had very high IQs. They had strong technical skill sets. It was probably, you know, where there was a large, con- the highest concentration of PhDs in, in the company. Um, and what we found is that while they um, were really off the charts on the IQ um, realm, they, you know, there were some opportunities to, to build EQ skills and that that was becoming increasingly more important for the organization to be effective and for the division to to really uh, add value. And so the focus was around how can we help build skills for them to be able to interact with one another, um, to be more collaborative, to build trust, uh, to influence more effectively across the organization. So really leveraging those technical skills, combining them with stronger emotional intelligence skills and communication skills, um, because that's what was really needed uh, for them to be more effective in their, in their roles. What did that department look like before the training? It was an organization of, uh, with strong expertise, it was a risk management organization. And so these are people that really identified strongly as being experts, highly quantitative. Uh, they were, you know, really good at their particular discipline, right? Um, but with, with cultures that are, you know, with, with cultures that are um, made of experts, uh, there tends to be uh, difficulty for experts to really uh, be, have their, their thinking challenged, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, experts are very uncomfortable not having the answer or having the wrong answer. 
they'll expend a lot of energy defending their point of view. And, you know, we were seeing that uh, they were, there were breakdowns in relationships. They were, you know, risk management was in 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 an oversight role in the organization. Um, And there was a lot of tension um, in the relationships that they had with their business partners and other key stakeholders. So one way we could say it is that they needed to be right. It's, yes. I mean, I think that there there is a perception that that's what they get paid for, right? That's the value that they bring is, is to be right, to have an answer, to have form opinions and judgments. And so there is um, this natural kind of propensity to, you know, really... Uh, defend a certain position and I'm speaking kind of in general terms but there was you know feedback that was consistently you know telling us that experts the this the, the people within the division while they were very talented and nice people it was it was difficult to get them to change their perspective or or come with a more open minded perspective and so what what what, how do you go about changing somebody's perspective because it sounds as though that's something that's very ingrained in their way of being and in their way of thinking so it, it can't be easy to change change that well it you're right it it's i would say it's not easy and like with any um culture change it's about um, changing mindsets is um, something that takes uh, a tremendous investment. But I think it starts with giving them permission to be wrong. It's, it starts with creating a climate where, you know, that you teach them skills about how to um, have more effective relationships um, with their counterparts, um, how to communicate in a way that's more uh, generative and co-creative and ask questions that are more open-ended and uh, humble, okay? Asking questions that are more powerful to try to get to shared understanding instead of just um, kind of getting validating what you believe to be true. Mm-hmm. And what was the effect on both on the people in that department and on their relationships with the other departments? You know, it was it was interesting um, and maybe a little su- uh, surprising how they embraced it um, so openly. Again, it was almost as if they just needed permission to shift their mindset like they had a perception that this is how they were expected to be this is what they were being paid for right and when um we rolled out this program designed this program and started um, introducing these new skills and we had our executive leadership really setting the tone at the top then what we what we saw is our um, the participants just really soaking this up, embracing it, 
and um, having some very uh, transformative experiences. Um, and uh, again, it took it took time. This has been a, a it was a couple of years um, effort, you know, from start to finish. And there was a relentless kind of reinforcement and support. It was, you know, it involved learning sessions. It involved coaching at the individual, peer, and uh, team level. We worked with, you know, the leadership, and we worked with, um, you know, people at every level of the organization. And we taught them all the same skills. And then we set up um, opportunities for them to practice it. And and through the coaching and follow-up sessions, there was continual reinforcement of these skills. One of the things that we did that was highly effective is we gave them homework. They had to um, set up what we called coffee chats with um, a partner in another uh, business area. And the purpose of these coffee chats were to really ask them what an ideal partnership would look like and, you know, when have we had the most success working together? And what was the secret of that success? And how can I make you more effective in your role? And we heard so many stories about how just setting up that, um, that coffee chat, right, and engaging their, their um, partners in, in those questions um, and, and showing a... A, a real desire to want to better understand what their clients were needing um, was powerful and creating real breakthroughs in the relationship. Can you think of any, uh, do any particular examples come to mind of um, the results that came out of those coffee ship chats or the, uh, the people who, who told you what had happened during the coffee chats? It was interesting how so many of the stories were kind of had the same themes, um, but what it enabled them to do was to start developing trust, right? And so when there became um, uh, uh, friction in the relationship or there was a a setback or a roadblock, there was um, the ability of these partners then to uh, really address it in a more... um, transparent way with the feeling that they they each had a, a you know an interest in um a, in working together a shared outcome that they had each other's back you know there was a shift in mindset um where we went from um this mindset of uh, a gotcha mentality to a gotcha back mm. mentality mindset right um and so that created a shared i think and more open environment for really being in the solution and um uh, looking at you know what they could do better and being more open to different diverse perspectives mm. what i what i what i love in what you're saying is that it sounds as though for the, those people in the risk department that actually not having to be the expert anymore or not having to just be the expert and just be turning up and just be acknowledged for their expertise was actually a relief to them 
to be able to become more human. And mm-hmm. the, the other thing I'm hearing too is that by having one-on-one conversations that it's about saying to the other person, we're in this together. And how can I be helping you? How can you be helping me? We're in this together. It's not me against you. It's me with you. Absolutely. One of my favorite um, testimonials or stories was shared by a mid-level leader who um, really put a lot of the tools into practice that we that we taught them, and including these coffee chats. And you know, he said. He had a recognition that he'd spent most of his career building his technical expertise and his knowledge. And he had earned many degrees and and he was top in his field. But what he realized through the program was that it was really about building relationships. And he had really under-invested in in that part of his, um, you know, professional career was the building of the relationships, the building of the trust. Mm. And now as you as you you've left the uh, organization, what sort of things are you thinking about now in terms of what organizations need um, and what what you would like to be bringing to organizations? What I would like to be doing is building on on this work and some of the research that you know, I have been uh, focused on is um, increasingly talking about how we live, how we're living in a what they call uh, a VUCA world, increasingly VUCA world. And VUCA stands for um, volatility, is the V, uncertainty complexity and ambiguity and it was a phrase coined i think by the u.s military um back after 9-11 to really capture the the complexity of the world and so i think organizations are increasingly recognizing that in this environment of um uh, accelerated change and complexity that, that the the only way that they're going to survive and thrive and be able to address tomorrow's problems is through a more collective approach, a more team-oriented approach, right? And so I think it's going to shift the way that they structure their organizations, um, the the type of cultures that um, are going to, you know, emerge in their in their um, corporate spaces, the values that they're going to be um, really emphasizing as an organization is that they're going to need to tap into the collective um, and multidisciplinary talents of their people in different ways than they've they've had to before in the past. So we're moving, as you said before, we're moving from people just being experts in one field to people needing to be able to shift and change and be expert in one thing and then perhaps become expert in another thing and really making sure that um, everybody's expertise is being used and that it's more team-based rather than 
individual based. Yes, and I think there's going to, you know, there will be more value placed on diversity of perspectives. And they'll be looking uh, for people who can think critically, but who can also really call upon the talents of others, right? I, like, I, won't, I don't necessarily need to be an expert um, in a particular domain, but what I need to be able to do is um, reach out to those who are and bring them into the conversation, right? And tap their talent and, ex- and expertise or the expertise and talent of multiple disciplines and to be able to really uh, drive more um, cooperative types of, of team engagements. And working in teams is, is, you know, poses its own unique set of challenges. And I think it's, um, you know, can, is really difficult because teams are made up of individuals, right? <laughs> With our own um, opinions and judgments of, the, of how things should be done. And so there is going to be, I think, a lot of opportunity in, in the organizational development space in coaching around how teams can work more effectively together as well. I, it always amazes me when, the, when you hear people's stories and what people have been through and they turn up to work with sometimes having been through the most horrendous, horrendous things. And all these people turning up with these different stories and then having to work together in teams and that we expect it just to work. Um, and people from different backgrounds with different personalities and that's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's amazing that it, that it works even as well as it does. Yeah, I think it'll be one of the, you know, big challenges for organisations in the future I mean, it, it already is, I think. How do we go from that we mind, that I mindset to the we mindset? Mm. And you were talking about um, rehumanizing organizations and healing organizations. And what, what do you mean by that? I think, you know, there has been so much focus on squeezing productivity out of the workforce. And the demands placed on, you know, there's there's so much pressure on employees to do more with less, right? There's fewer human resources, but the expectations of the job don't change. They just increase. Right? And so there is a, a high level of uh, burnout going on in our in corporate America and our government agencies, you know, in our work environments. And I think COVID has exasperated it because now we're working from home and we don't know how to set, you know, um, healthy boundaries. And there's like this even more uh, blend between our work life and our family life, right? Uh, we, don't, we haven't yet learned how to, you know, turn it off when to turn mm-hmm. it off and when to turn it back on, right? So I think that that's compounded uh, a sort of a trend that we were already seeing. And so in organizations that are able to really recognize this and 
start putting, you know, their people first and not just um, the compensation needs of their employees, but what are the other needs of their employees? What can, can corporations do to help employees with their emotional well-being, their mental well-being, um, you know, things like burnout? Um, how, could, how can they uh, bring tools like coaching, which has often, you know, historically been reserved for executives, how can they expand the reach of coaching to um, employees at all different levels of their organization? You know, what kind of wellness programs can they offer? How can they help employees? How can they promote, you know, better work-life balance? I saw a, a real um, shift in that in the organization that I worked with in you know, for 19 years. And, you know, we, we had a strong HR leader who was committed to putting human back into human resources, right? So I think organizations, as they, you know, um, evolve, will really have to look at how they can um, become more humanizing. And that also... I think extends to how they're going to view their profitability and how are they going to define their stakeholders? You know, are stakeholders just going to be the shareholders of the company or are they going to view stakeholders more broadly as being their employees, the community in which they work in, their customers, their vendors, um, the planet? You know, how are they going to, you know, be good stewards of the planet as well. Mm. And just going when going back to a little bit, you were talking about people's needs and you mentioned there's work-life balance. But when you say needs, which needs do you think uh, in particular that employers need to be thinking about for their for their employees? Uh, I think that's a a really great question and, and kind of a big question because it's going to depend from you know employee to employee or even um, within uh, different uh, groups of employees. Your um, part of it will be generational, right? Your older work, your older employees will have different needs than your millennial employees, right? The employees. Um, what we noticed during um, COVID was that uh, employees that had young children had very different needs and required a different level of support than those that, you know, whose children were older or didn't have children. And employees that lived alone had different and unique needs. You know, they were suffering from isolation. The parents were suffering from... <laughs> you know, having to do a full-time job and suddenly be uh, a school teacher to their kids. How... Not, not enough isolation. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think meeting the needs of their employees is, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. But the way in which um, I think that they can be effective is by engaging their employees um, actively, very actively um, on 
what it is that they, in fact, need. Another example of this was the May following the 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 COVID shutdown. We had the uh, the protests of the George Floyd um, murder, and you know our organization really took a um, a very I think humanistic view of sincerely and genuinely wanting to know how they could support their communities of color, their employees, their African-American and minority employees during that time. What was it that they needed most? And so instead of assuming they knew the answer to that, there was um, very intentional efforts to um, engage those communities in conversation and ask them you know, to find out, really listen to them, what they were feeling, what they were experiencing, allowing for emotions to be, to exist, um, you know, to be expressed, allowing um, for people to be vulnerable and, and listening deeply to what it was that they needed so that they felt like they had a voice. And what came out of those conversations? I think that what some of the things that came out of that were um, conversations about how, as an organization, they could um, really help to make systemic changes. They, you know, they had a unique uh, platform, and being a large financial institution, you know, it opened up some some probably some uncomfortable conversations, but some really honest um, and courageous conversations about what they could be doing more of to really promote um, and help uh, minority communities who have been disadvantaged economically for generations. Really- Do you think of some specific things that came, came out of those conversations in terms um, of helping helping? Besides having um, really facilitating a lot of conversations across the organization, um, both small group level, but also more broadly about what it felt like, you know, what was going on, how they were experiencing the the trauma of George Floyd and, and all of the um, racial injustices that were really, uh, I think, uh, coming to to the surface in a new and different way, so they were they were giving you know specific these communities uh, specific opportunities to really talk about the experience, and that was I think very helpful. But then you know th- they started to proactively talk about what kind of policies, um, what kind of research, what kind of data could they really uh, start bringing to understand the scope of the problem, you know, and, and then what kind of solutions could they be a part of to help, you know, create that, to level the playing field, I, I guess. Spe- specific programs, I mean, it, I think that's, it's an ongoing process and sometimes the policy side can take a while to really manifest right to see the effects of the policy but the fact that they were really in these open and honest conversations about 
what they could do as an organization and the recognition that they had a, a unique position, you know, to, to move change was tremendous. And, you know, I saw a great uh, deal of sincerity and desire by the leaders of the company um, to be a part of the change that was needed. You know, I think there was a, a, an awakening uh, by so many as a result of that. that I could imagine just just the fact that those conversations took place for the people who who were participating in the conversations would have been an extremely powerful experience just to be listened to. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, our CEO at the time uh, would he wrote weekly letters to all employees um, on various topics. And after the George Floyd murder and the you know, ensuing protests, he wrote so candidly and openly and with such humility about that experience. And, you know, it was clear that he was deeply affected as a, as, you know, a white male who, enjoyed a, a certain position uh, you know position of privilege and power he was deeply um moved and i think also deeply disturbed by what you know he had what was unfolding and expressed a great deal of empathy wasn't trying to uh, necessarily say he understood <laughs> but expressed empathy for what was going on. And, and that was, um, that was powerful. It was really powerful. Mm. It gives me great hope in what you're saying that, uh, that a leader of, of a financial organization like that would have such insight into, into being vulnerable, being open about his own feelings, and then also letting other people express their feelings and be listened to. It really gives me a lot of hope for, the the way that the world will move do you see yeah, the same I, thing in other organizations as well i don't know that i have um purview to yet into a, a wide range of organizations but you know talking with my colleagues and talking with other coaches and and other organizational development specialists and you know friends in other organizations it does feel like that there's a growing realization and based on the, you know, the, the, the publications that we're reading and, you know, what you're seeing on LinkedIn now, there is a, a rising consciousness, I think, within organizations, within the people that, are, you know, comprise those organizations and a feeling um, that perhaps, you know, here in the U.S. where our political system is the polarity and, and you know, the uh, partisanship is not able to address some of the issues that there is a role for corporate America and nonprofits and other, you know, organizations to step up and, and make change. And it's also driven by the fact that these are that these people are their customers, that you know they they have diverse customers and 
And so I'm sure that that's also a part of it. Part of their thinking is, you know, that these are the people that they serve. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you feel as though uh, the role of women is changing in the workplace as well? Absolutely. I, I do think that the, the role of women is changing. You know, my, I'll, just, I'll just share the story uh, of my, my mother. Uh, she came to D.C. when she was 18. She graduated from high school and, and uh, left her hometown immediately and came, to, came down to work for a senator, and, which was quite brave, I thought. And she was one of the first wave of women to uh, really s- step into roles that were predominantly held by men. So there were some women w- in the workforce at that time, but they typically would, be, you know, were nurses or teachers or secretaries. But she um, worked her way up into, you know, a, a professional high-powered job. And so she was breaking, she was breaking the, you know, the barriers um, and, and on the front lines of it. Um, and now, you know, I think women, that work has, you know, thanks to people of that generation, like my mother, really laid the groundwork for women to now step in to leadership roles at a much greater level. You know, women, I think, are more confident now in the workforce. I think that, you know, women are powerful, educated. They've had, um, there's certainly work to be done, but I, I think that, you know, we have seen um, a real transformation in the number of women who are at you know, the, the leadership levels um, and just the, the the talent that they bring to those roles. I've got two questions out of that. The first is, what was it in your mother that meant that she just took those leadership positions? What, what was it that was driving her and what was it that allowed her to have those, have the, to, to step into those positions? And the second question I wanted to ask is um, when you see women leaders, are they bringing something different to organisations? Yeah, what was it in my mother? You know, that's a great question. And, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, except um, maybe it was one of her soul's purpose. She didn't have a college education. But she had a fierce, a fierce belief in the dignity um, and value of all human beings, and especially women. She was, you know, she was a staunch feminist, a woman's liber. Um, but she was really, she stood for equality and racial equality, uh, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment. She was a stress, you know, she was out marching in the '60s in her you know nice dress and her handbag it was you know, <laughs> that's what you know they dressed for the uh they dressed differently for the occasion <laughs> um and 
so she she was fiercely committed to it she had a she had a deep you know belief in that she was that women were powerful and that we were every bit as um as smart and capable as men and she f- was very committed to you know changing uh the to breaking barriers to stepping into a man a male's world and proving that she she was as she belonged there proving that you know she was worthy and she belonged there and she had a very um a successful career and um, rose to be the um, superintendent of the Office of Public Records for the U.S. Senate. And so that is she, extraordinary. So, without that is extraordinary. Without a college degree, that is that is just extraordinary, mm. right? And it shows you what her belief—just her belief in herself. Yeah, but also, you know, I think she was filled with self-doubt. I think she was constantly, you know, battling <laughs> this self-doubt as well. Because I think, you know, as as women, that is part of our, you know, conditioning too. But overcoming that, you know, improving to herself as well as proving to others. Mm-hmm. I remember her saying um, one of my favorite things I from her, she say, a, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. what did your father think about that you know my father must have you know I'm sure this was an adjustment for him I'm sure he didn't quite know what he was getting into when they got married but she, she was, you know, we would say she was stubborn and she would say, I'm not stubborn, I'm committed. Um, and uh, she was, uh, this was one area, she was a very loving, kind person. Um, but this was a, a deeply held value for her. And I think it, she felt like this was one of her, you know, uh, causes in life. One of her purposes was to be part of this change, part of this generation that was going to really change how women saw themselves and how they participated in society. And what a great role model for for all of us. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And, um, you know, there was, so there was this uh, expectation, I think, um, to also continue the work that she did <laughs> in different mm-hmm. ways, of course. Mm. Um, and the second part of my question was what What do you think women bring to the workplace that is different and valuable? Yeah, I think, well, women, you know, we, going back to kind of, I think, some earlier thoughts on this, you know, I think that we bring this natural ability to collaborate, to cooperate. We, we bring a level of a level of empathy that I think is part in part based on our experiences. We're hardwired for it, I believe, as you know, um, the as 
the feminine energy, right, that we, that we possess. And I think that we are intrinsically more selfless and oriented towards kind of the well-being of the, of the collective, right? So we're less maybe um, geared towards what's in it for me and I think more just naturally oriented to what's in it for us or, you know, let's find common ground. Um, so I think we're naturally more looking um, for, you know, win-win solutions. I think we're creative. You know, we, we're great organizers. We've had to be um, in our roles as, um, you know, taking care of the children and running the households and all of that, that we, you know, the roles that we typically have played. I still think that we tend to undervalue and undersell ourselves. Um, we're more likely to, to doubt ourselves, probably. Um, but I think that that's also changing. I think, you know, these, the generation of women that are now rising into um, leadership roles and entering the workforce have really benefited from the, you know, the, the work that was done by their mothers and their grandmothers and their great grandmothers. Hmm. When, when you look back at the, the coaching that you've, you're done, you're thinking now on making corporations more human. What has been the effect on you as a person? What have you learned as a person? Has it changed you? Certainly, I think it's changed me. I think, you know, it's what I've learned is that it's helped me to get much more uh, clear on what my, on perhaps what my purpose is in this world and, and where I can help, you know, advance um, or play a role or do something impactful, you know, in this, in this life that I'm living. So it, it's kind of given me focus on, on, you know, some of the work that I, you know, want to do. I think it's just, there's a, such a need for us to evolve our organizations and to be more, uh, to really meet the needs of this of this new world that's emerging, and it's really forced me to um, kind of examine my own the ways in which I you know need to to be more self aware or build empathy or resilience the ways in which um, I need to you know be a, stronger collaborators or to support my um my colleagues right um on their journey it's it's even sometimes as simple as just walking around campus and smiling at um your coworkers <laughs> the people that you may or may not know but showing up with a much more open mindset and being vulnerable, like just even being vulnerable in the workplace, showing up as your authentic self, taking uh, that risk, because that can be scary, right? Um, being willing to fail and making it safe for others to try new things and fail. Meredith, mm. I mean, this, this conversation has gone all sorts of places that I didn't expect it would go. 
two last questions I wanted to ask you. One is, has being a woman had an impact on your career and how has, has that been positive or negative? I certainly think it's, it's had an impact in terms of my own personal journey of, you know, becoming the woman that I wanted to be, becoming the, uh, becoming self-sufficient and also being, uh, becoming a, a, you know, a valuable contributor to the organization. I would say being a woman has, there have been advantages, uh, but there have been, you know, some disadvantages as well. Like, I think it has been harder sometimes to speak up as a woman, you know, and I don't know if that is um, necessarily uh, the product of the, of the organization itself, or if it's just um, sort of an internal barrier, you know, an internal story about being a woman that, you know, still needs to be uh, overcome or worked through, if that makes any sense. Mm, Um, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's also helped me to, you know, develop a resiliency muscle. You know, I think our resiliency muscle, it's one of the the underutilized muscles. It's a muscle of the heart. Um, And so, um, you know, being a woman in the workforce, there are so many demands placed on you because not only are you, um, you know, kind of... uh, not always, you're, you know, I'll speak for myself, it's a, it tends to be a male-dominated culture where I worked, um, trying to, you know, find your place in that, um, but also, you know, uh, raising a family and taking care of your household and the expectations for women to do both, I think, you know, women don't feel like they can I think we almost overcompensate in our in our roles in our in our jobs because we don't want um, the perception that we can't be both. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we try to overcompensate and overdo and overfunction. And so I think that's probably you know one of the impacts I think or effects of being a woman is this this tendency to feel like you have to overfunction. Until you until you collapse in a heap. Yes. <laughs> or need a sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, there's been so much value in, in what you've said, uh, what you've shared with us today. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to, to leave us with? Anything that you we haven't covered? Anything at all? Um, you know, I, I just I'll just go back to um I think it, everything is relationship, you know, and our relationships and organizations are important to invest in. In our relationships with men, women across the spectrum, you know, uh, meet people that you you don't know. Find out what they do. Build just build networks and connect with with one another and and that's a really important way of really it's hard to hate people up close i think brene brown said that you know so when you get to know somebody 
there becomes an inherent, you become inherently invested in not just in, in their success as well as yours, right? And shared success is so much, I find a shared success is so powerful, is so fulfilling. And I would also say that, um, you know, as we can bring deeper love and empathy to ourselves as individuals, you know, doing that hard work of that hard self-work, then we will feel we'll be able to bring deeper uh, love and empathy into our workplaces. And, and that will help, I think, really shift how, you know, organically organizations and help them become more human, right? Meredith, it seems to me that you are right at the crux of what our world needs. It's right at the crux of us coming back together to be connected with one, one another, which I think as as social animals, that human beings really need that human connection that I think that we've lost in so much of our society, especially in our, in our corporations. And I agree, I agree so fully with you that if you once you understand somebody and you've you've spent the time with them, it's very hard not to like them and to be on their side. And that just seems to me that it is so incredibly important the the work that you're doing. So um Good luck with the next the next phase of of your life, whatever that may bring, and I'm sure that it's going to bring a lot of value to to an awful lot of, of people. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation with you and um, this platform and the amazing work you're doing in giving women a stronger voice in this in this world. Thanks for your kind words. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brave New Women. Certain podcast sites such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Podchaser let you leave a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more people will listen and the more these women's stories will be shared. So I'd really appreciate it if you could. Thanks for listening.